Welcome to the Pop Culture Mess Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Jason. Thank you guys for listening to the show. Today we're going to talk about Avengers Infinity War. Thanks, everybody, for clicking the link and deciding to listen to our podcast. We really appreciate it. This is our very first Pop Culture Mass podcast. And just to kind of give you a little background of what we wanted to do with the podcast, uh, Pop Culture Mass definitely has some, you know, religious overtones to it. Uh, Mass being a celebration or gathering of uh, religious people, uh, you know, gathering together to celebrate Um, the things that they love. And Jason and I happen to love uh, pop culture, mainly film and television, music, video games even. And, you know, we just thought we'd take some time out of our our lives to talk a little bit about those things. Hell yeah. Also, we're pretty good friends, I think. I would say, you know, I'd say if I had a best friend, you'd probably be it. (laughs) I would, I would say you're pretty high in the running. Also speaking of mass, we both came up Catholic, so it's an appropriate, it's an appropriate name for podcast. It is an appropriate name for podcast. And I think, I know I am, and I know you probably are, but we're both drinking wine right now. So yeah, I was about to say we are (laughs) having our sacramental wine. Mine is uh, actually sacramental beer. We ran out of wine, but regardless, I'm celebrating like a good Catholic and I'm drinking. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, Hey, beer is biblical as well. What do you think the Egyptians were feeding the Jews in Egypt while they were slaving away to build the pyramids and whatnot? So that's what I'm saying. I'm drinking wine. You're drinking beer. It's all good. It's, you know, we're keeping it holy. That is what I'm saying. (laughs) It's all good. A rabbi might've blessed it. It might be kosher beer. All right. So just uh, want to tell you a little bit about me, guys. Uh, again, this is Matt. You know, like I said at the top of the podcast, Jason and I really love film uh, more than anything. And the main thrust of each of these episodes is going to be talking about a movie. We're going to be talking about uh, a new movie, one new movie a month, and, and hopefully one older movie that is on home video or uh, home release. It's not really video anymore. I was going to say home video. It sounds so, that's like, uh, that was, that was like when we were kids. It's home video. It's like, yeah, I think, I think I'm dating myself. I think maybe a little bit, everybody, everybody listening can pretty much figure out I'm, I'm not a, a millennial or a Tide Pod generation. I'm, I'm definitely generation X of talking about home video. So you love movies, obviously. How did you, what banged you over the head and made you a movie lover? Uh, you know, main thing is is it's for me uh it was a great way to you know get to know my dad spending time with my dad being a child of divorce you know when i got to spend time with him it was generally watching movies and yeah. you know also being a latchkey kid go home pop a movie into the vcr usually something from spielberg or some type of arnold schwarzenegger movie maybe yes. and you know just yes. kind of let let that pa- let you pass the time watching Conan the Barbarian or mm. E.T. You know, for me, it's like I've, yeah, I've always loved that movies could take you away from your crappy life and mm. transport you to a magical realm. And 
not saying that my life is always crappy, but <laughs> for the crappy parts, movies have always been here to help, you know, me escape into the realm of imagination and, and whatnot. So, yeah. you know, how about, you know, how about for you? I know, you know, my love of movies is, is definitely on a, on a layman's level, but you have a, you have a deeper attachment to movies through your film degree that you, that you received from the university of Georgia. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about that? I would love to because I spent enough money on it. I should talk about it for a minute, right? <laughs> yeah, you should let the people know. Yeah, I love movies so much I had to drop tens of thousands of dollars on an education. So I've got a degree in film studies, um, which really has nothing to do with making films at all. It's just like, hey, I've, I've got a degree in bullshitting about movies. Uh, it's sort of like a literature degree, except for it's people who would rather get high and watch The Matrix than read Macbeth. So we study things like film theory, um, semiotics and semantics, uh, which is like language of film, kind of how films are put together to create meaning, uh, mise-en-scene, editing, composition of films, et cetera. So, uh, you know, they teach you how to be critical about what you're looking at and what you're viewing so that you can bullshit about it in a class and write a 10-page paper on Ballad of a Soldier or something like that. And uh, they hook you in so that you'll spend a lot of money on Criterion Collection DVDs down the line. <laughs> and of course, you know, always, always, always wanting to know why, you know, Hitchcock uses the color green, right? All that kind of stuff. Yep. Why Hitchcock uses green or what's what's important that you can see in every scene, yeah. you know, talking about mesensen. That was always a question I always had. So just for my own edification, with a degree like that, hmm. why didn't you ever go into like film journalism, ever th you know, anything of that nature? I just, uh, I always thought maybe like, um, reviewing films would be great. But then I also thought like, how the hell do you make money doing that? You know, who do you talk, who, how do you talk somebody into paying you to uh, go see movies? And, uh, cause that would be a great job, right? I mean, you get to go see a movie during the week, during the work day oh, yeah. and, uh, see it before everybody else. And I mean, it's an excuse to get fat off popcorn. I freaking love the popcorn. I mean, that's, that's maybe that's what got me into movies is it's an excuse to eat that buttery popcorn. What are your, what are your favorite types of films? Do you have like a genre or a period that you like the best? As long as we're getting to know each other or the audience is getting to know us. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I really don't. Um, I kind of love everything that I see, uh, you know, up to a point. Uh, I'm not much for French or Italian cinema. Um, I do love uh, Kur Kurosawa films. I'm not opposed to, you know, watching films with subtitles. But, yeah. you know, I, I love kind of everything, man. When you grow up in the 1980s, there's so many great types of genres to latch on to, whether, you know, it's comedy with Caddyshack and Ghostbusters and the Blues Brothers mm. and National Lampoon or great dramas, great action movies, all the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, all the Sylvester Stallone movies. Uh, you know, James mm. Cameron really, you know, came about in the 1980s with The Terminator and Aliens and all these great genres, sci-fi. I mean, I guess if I did have a favorite type of film the type of genre i mean sci-fi would probably be up there um love you know star trek and you know aliens and and star wars and all that kind of stuff yeah i i i will tell you that a well done sci-fi i'm i'm right there with you a well done sci-fi is one of the best things that you can watch for sure right 
you know, you mentioned the films of your youth when you were a younger man, the stuff that you would watch. It was the same stuff for me because we're pretty much the same age. And the action films of the 80s, a lot of the comedies of the 80s, especially when I was younger, I loved watching those uh, funny films and the action films, Arnold Schwarzenegger, especially. Oh, my God. I grew up on that stuff. I love it. Um but do you feel like uh, it's harder for you to enjoy movies nowadays because it's not the same as when you were a younger man? I mean, it depends. Uh, you know, there are, there are a lot of movies made today in that same vein. Uh, you know, anything that The Rock is putting out lately uh, can definitely stack up to any of the, you know, just fun popcorn movies we got to watch when we were kids. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, you know, the comic book movies, like what we're going to be talking about you know, today here in a few minutes with Avengers, I think for the most part they're, they're it's a, it's a kind of distillation of, mm. you know, what we were watching in the eighties. I, I completely agree. And some of my favorite films, I mean, honestly, the, the, the bulk of my favorite films, my go-to films, the films that I'll always pop out and throw in and I'll watch over and over again are those very same movies that are the popcorn flicks They're Maybe they're silly and, and maybe they're not, uh, artistically redeeming, but they're so enjoyable and they're so watchable. And you can just pop them in and watch them over and over and over again. Um, and I think the film we're going to talk about today, uh, Avengers infinity war, I think it's going to get a lot of replay in the Almy household. Uh, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to put that thing on repeat. It's, it's, um, not to get ahead of ourselves because I should mention the, the type of films that I love as well. I'm right there with you with the, um, the sci-fi stuff. Um, I'm, I'm a really big fan of like classic Hollywood stuff, thirties and forties, things like thin man, awful truth. Um, I love Cary Grant. Speaking of awful truth, I love Cary Grant. Um, I'll watch just about anything Cary Grant's in. Um, but then more recent stuff, um, things like Hong Kong cinema. Uh, I watched the hell out of when I was a teenager, I watched a ton of John Woo and other Hong Kong cinema stuff. Um, the screwball comedies I love, um, the, the, the 80s stuff we mentioned. So I think we have, uh, we're, we're, I think we can get along. I mean, we could like be roommates and watch movies together and be a okay. I think that actually happened for a couple of weeks while we were both in Athens. <laughs> it did. It did. Yeah. I think nowadays my wife would probably kill the both of us, but, um, I think you and I would be fine. Yes. I think, I think it would work out quite well. We could be, uh, you know, hetero life mates, uh, like, uh, Jay and Simon Bob. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you, the foul mouth. And it helps that you look. Yeah, I do look like Silent Bob. Yeah, I'll grow a ponytail, and, and all you got to do is throw a trench coat on. Although, have you seen Kevin Smith lately? I mean. Oh, yeah, he's lost some weight. He had the big heart attack very recently. That thing could have been life-ending. It certainly was life-altering because, I, I mean, the guy's he looks much better now. And in the weeks since his heart attack, he's lost a ton of weight and it sounds like he's really taking the whole thing very seriously to try to get ahead of this and and take care of his health. Right. And, you know, and I definitely don't want to imagine a world in which Kevin Smith isn't around, uh, at least, you know, that's going to happen eventually, but it should be, you know, 30 or 40 years down the line. He's still a very young man. So, you know, definitely happy that, if, if, if anything, he's been scared straight, so to speak. And, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't wait to see what he has left for us because I mean, I know he hasn't done a whole lot that I've really enjoyed since probably around Jay and Silent Bob strikes back, even though he's directed some fantastic episodes of, of the flash and some of the best episodes of that TV show for sure. Um, I definitely want to see, you know, what maybe this, 
this event uh, spurs him in, in 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 him artistically. Indeed, I, I think he's you know definitely you know definitely been a little uh, wayward, um, maybe a little bit too much pot because <laughs> you know hey whatever makes you whatever makes you happy, but. Some of the, some of the films like Red State and uh, Tusk I, I didn't really enjoy, but that's okay. Uh, they might they probably weren't made for me. And hey, Justin Long needs work too. Justin Long, you're right. Justin Long does need work. Yeah, that's correct. All right, so you know, without further ado, we we definitely want to get into the main point of the podcast, which is to talk about Avengers: Affinity War. Mm. Um, for all of you listening, this is definitely your spoiler warning. If you have not seen Avengers: Affinity War. Or, and you don't want to know anything about it, turn off the podcast now and come back and listen to us when you are finished watching. So, uh, Jason, what is the, just off the top of your head, uh, a one-word review of Avengers Affinity 4? If I'm limited to one word, I'm going to have to say, well, it's hyphenated, so I guess it still counts as one word, but mind-blowing? Mind-blowing. I like that. I like that a lot. Mine is motherfucker. Motherfucker. Which Samuel L. Jackson almost got out of his mouth as almost. he disintegrated in, in, in the sting. Yeah, it's, it, I, I thought the, the, the Samuel L. Jackson almost with the motherfucker, especially because it's Samuel L. Jackson delivering the line. I, I thought, oh my God, that's so awesome. But it still wasn't quite as great as Marissa Tomei getting cut off at the very end of Spider-Man Homecoming. What the fuck? And it just cuts. That was the best. <laughs> right. I, I, I want to really kind of break the film down a little bit, you know, talk a little bit about themes and, yeah. you know, maybe even get into some of those technical aspects uh, of the film and, and how, how it comes across. And then, you know, for me, it's like these comic book movies, you know, generally take on a few big themes. You know, sometimes they're very subtle. Sometimes they hit you over the head with them uh, ad nauseum. But what would you what would you say are some of the bigger themes that you really felt from this film? What what was what was this film speaking to you with Thanos's arc? And if you know anything about the comic books, um, I mean, his big thing was. Uh, killing motherfuckers like he didn't necessarily relish it or 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 do it because he enjoyed it but it was like his thing was uh creating this this balance that he believed in very much but part of that was this almost like a sacrifice i don't know if it's loss it's not messianic but um it is kind of the idea that some of you guys got to go, but it's for the good of the universe so that we don't run out of these finite resources. Right. Actually, you know, that's, that's a good point. Like I definitely had, I got a little bit of that, you know, the good of the many outweigh the good mm-hmm. of the, you know, the good of the few or the one, right. That's a, that's a, that's a Star Trek from Star Trek too, right. The yeah, Vision said it himself. Right. They're all trying to save Vision's life because he's got the stone in his head. And so obviously Thanos is going to be like, hey, I got to get that out of your forehead and put it in my gauntlet. So uh, even Vision is saying, look, if you got to kill me to destroy this stone, we're talking about half of the living creatures in the universe. That's got to be trillions upon trillions of lives at the bare minimum. I mean, it's got it's orders of magnitude above trillions if we're talking about entire galaxy. So he's saying, look, my life is inconsequential compared to all of these people that stand to die if he gets the stone. No, for sure. I mean, when you think of like, yeah, it's the universe. It's not just our galaxy. It's the entire universe. So, and there are, there are definitely some problems I had uh, with that because towards the end of the film, 
when uh, Scarlet Witch, you know, was basically refusing to kill him, uh, to kill the Vision yeah. by uh, taking out the Mind Stone, or even when Captain America did. Because, I mean, let's be honest, there is no movie if they do the smart thing, which is destroy both the Time Stone and the Mind Stone immediately when they find out Thanos is looking for them. Yeah. That would be the most logical thing to do. Unfortunately, it's not what happens, and that's why we have a great movie on our hands. And I really do think this is a great movie. If you can kind of make your way past some of those glaring plot holes, uh, I think you know you can really enjoy everything else that you're going to see. I, for sure. I don't think the plot holes are going to hold me back at all in my enjoyment of this film. And I'm, I'm actually really glad they didn't just, Oh, Hey, let's kill vision, sacrifice him, destroy the stone. And then when Thanos arrives to earth, you know, he won't have a stone to get, uh, because I was a little concerned going into the film that they would kind of, I don't want to say puss out, but I'm going to say puss out and kind of dial things back a little bit and not allow him to assemble the entire set of infinity stones. I think it was great that they did allow him to assemble the entire set and essentially complete his plan. I mean, he does what he set out to do. Thanos essentially wins. It's a very empire strikes back ending of a film, which uh, really worked very well for me. It it struck me just right, but I, I was very glad that they made the bold decision to allow Thanos to get all of the stones and, and essentially wield that ultimate power because it's going to make him so much harder to defeat. Obviously. I, I have seen that. I have seen that, that comparison made the empire strikes back and yeah. it, it works and it doesn't work. Right. I mean, at the end of empire strikes back, Luke has lost a hand and, and, and Han is frozen in carbonite. Mm-hmm. Nobody's died. No, um, no. Nobody's nobody serious at least. Whereas, whereas at the end of this movie, everybody, Everybody who is not an original Avenger outside of Rhodey and Rocket Raccoon and and Nebula, Nebula. out of all people, yeah. they're all dead. They're all dead. It's I, that is a ballsy thing to do. And when it happened, I was in a full theater last night at 11 p.m. starting that movie. You could hear a pin drop. Oh yeah. And I thought it was actually great that you know they took out the score. And it was just the ambient noises that was happening on screen as people turned to ash and, and, yeah. and were blown away. You know, my, my brother brought this up in, in saying that it's kind of cheap because, you know, they're all coming back oh, for sure. So, yeah, you know, it, it, there is a little bit of that to it, um, you know, unless you're really not paying attention. Yeah, I mean, I totally think that I, that is one of the problems with a film, a cinematic universe this big that you know they've got contracts. You know the actors have contracts. They're signed to more sequels. There's a third Guardians of the Galaxy in the works. And so, you know, when Gamora gets tossed off the cliff and dies and Thanos sacrifices her and then Peter Quill blows away, you're sitting here thinking, all right, well, okay, 99% of the Guardians are now dead, but uh, they still have um, an Adam Warlock to deal with. And um, there's a third Guardian. I mean, James Gunn is signed to make a third Guardian. So I'm pretty sure they're going to bring... Yeah, they're going to bring a few of these guys back, if not all of them. So yeah, that does take right. some of that away, but to get back to what we were saying, comparing this film with empire strikes back, I don't think um, it's necessarily the plot points so much, but it's tonally that they end with yeah. these guys are thoroughly defeated. Captain America sitting there basically head in his hands at the end of the film. I expected him to be dead at the end of the film. I was kind of glad that cap made it, uh, but he's sitting there head in his hands like, Holy shit, we just got defeated. 
Thanos totally just worked us over and did exactly what he set out to do. And, and there was nothing we could do to stop him. And, and I feel like there was that sort of the empire strikes back at the end. Hey, Hans and carbonite Luke's been pretty thoroughly whipped by his dad. And you do have this, this, uh, it's not hopelessness, but it is kind of like, Hey, we kind of have our tails between our legs a little bit. What the heck are we going to do? Which makes, I think for really a very fun year of speculation, waiting for the next film to come out. Now, let me ask you, because looking back in this film, I think the, the, to me, again, I think the biggest theme is, you know, ideology and logic and mathematics mm-hmm. to justify basically any evil. And if you're, if you're logical enough, you can always, yeah, find a justification for any action uh, without moral consequence, right? He sits down with Gamora and says, it's just a matter of calculus. Yeah. Do you think that the directors, do you think that they actually did a good enough job with trying to make you understand his point of view? Because, you know, there is that thing in all, in all movies like this where half the time the villain really sees themselves as the hero of their own yeah. story. Did they succeed? Yeah, I, I I think they were far more successful with Thanos than I thought going into the film. I just thought, okay, maybe he's going to be this crazy guy. I mean, in the comics, he has this really kind of weird um, motivation that he's in love with the female personification of death, and he wants to please her by killing all these oh, folks. Yeah. It's just a really hokey kind of weird um, motivation where in the film they kind of stripped that back because obviously it is kind of like, well, who, what, what were you guys smoking? It was like 1983 and they came up with this Jim Starlin. Thank you very much. Came up with that. And, um, I think in this film I was a little concerned, like what's his motivation? Is he just this crazy guy that wants to wield this ultimate power? But they really, I think they did a very good job with his character as far as he's unlike a lot of villains in films like this. He doesn't relish violence or killing it doesn't seem to bring him any joy. He's a man on a mission and he believes his mission. You know, he even thinks he's fair in his dealings with people. Like he's, yeah, he's got to kill about half of them, but he doesn't murder just to murder. I think you hit upon it right there where you said he's, he's not getting any joy out of this or he's not getting any, he's not getting his jollies. No, he makes, he makes Mao, Hitler, Stalin. He makes them look like a fucking boy scout troop. (laughs) I think maybe the one area where they they did kind of screw up a little bit with Thanos's character, his treatment of Nebula. Uh, I thought that you know he's got these two daughters adopted, but the way he he does seem to have a true love for Gamora versus the way he just I mean he really just kind of savagely abuses Nebula. Uh, really, he he almost seemed to enjoy hurting Nebula. Maybe not as much as he he mourned hurting Gamora, but that was maybe a little bit a little bit odd for me, a little jarring. That how can he claim to love one daughter so much that he's he's even he cries tears when he has to kill her, but uh, torturing Nebula really wasn't a big issue for him at all. I mean, that didn't really seem to do much for him. Right, right. I mean, this film, it doesn't stop. Kind of felt a little bit like The Fugitive, where it just didn't stop. There was no moment to breathe. And that's the other interesting thing about the movie. Thanos is the protagonist and the antagonist. He is is propelling the plot along. It's not the other characters that we've come to know. This is very much Thanos' film. He is the star of this movie. For sure. And I think that's even demonstrated at the end, because, of course, after the post-credit sequence, when it cuts to black... 
in most of the Marvel films, if it's a Thor film, it'll say Thor will return. If it's Captain America, it'll say Captain America will return. This film cut to black, and then it said Thanos will return. That was what it said. It didn't say Avengers. Right. It didn't say Captain America. It didn't say Iron Man. It said Thanos will return. Yeah, good point. I, this is the Thanos film then. I mean, this is his movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, because he is the de facto, at least in his own mind, the hero of the film. You know, and like I said, it just it's basically pretty relentless. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the Hulk, who just had a tremendous beatdown at the hand of Thanos and doesn't make a re- an appearance for the entire rest of the film nope. because he's so scared of getting <laughs> that beatdown from Thanos. We go from that to Dr. Dr. Uh, Strange uh, sling-ringing himself right in front of Tony Stark and Pepper Potts, and then the aliens are attacking New yeah. York. You know, we're moving very quickly from set piece to set piece. There's not a whole lot of time to introduce the characters. They've already been introduced over 18 films. Because we have that secondhand knowledge, they're able to skip over the, hi, I'm Thor, or, you know, you don't know me, but I'm Dr. Strange. Yeah. I, I would say that... Um one of my few complaints with this film, because again, this is a great film, but one of my few complaints was I, it was a breakneck pace. And I did enjoy mostly the pace being relatively quick, um, particularly for a two and a half hour film. Uh, sometimes they can feel quite long. This one uh, really did. The pacing, everything felt great. And the two and a half hours uh, just flew right by. But I would say some of those more quiet moments, you know, you get them a little bit maybe in the solo films, the Guardians and stuff, where they have a little bit more of the interaction that can be quite comedic and really very satisfying for the characters kind of riff off each other. And um, the relationship building, I think I missed a little bit of that. With the Marvel films, I think one thing that they've really gotten right for me as, as a film goer, as an audience member, for my tastes, I really appreciate the uh, kind of back and forth with the characters. They've always done a great job of writing these kind of cheeky, roguish characters that are snarky and snippy with each other, but ultimately still kind of good good in their heart. You know what I mean? And I've always enjoyed watching right. them play off each other and stuff. The idea of mashing them all together in this film is like, wow, you know, I finally get to see uh, Bucky Barnes holding Rocket Raccoon by the back while they're both shooting the Chitari alien people. And it's like, holy shit, I've been waiting for this for so many years. There were some really satisfying parts of this movie. Oh, yeah. The douche off between Tony Stark and Doctor Strange that never stopped throughout the entire film was amazing. Yeah. It's like, who could be a bigger douchebag right now? <laughs> it was, exactly, yeah. And it was funny. It was actually really good too because it was it was a little meta because you know I think one of the complaints about Doctor Strange is that he's basically a Tony Stark ripoff. After that film came off, people were like, well, you know, he's kind of he's kind of Tony Stark. I mean, he's brilliant and he's arrogant and he gets hurt and so he he goes on this on this journey and becomes a superhero. And so people were kind of saying like he's like a poor man's Tony Stark. And then when they kind of get into this little um, kind of dick measuring contest and um, they're they're ripping on each other and shit, it was almost like, oh, this is almost an acknowledgement of, uh, of course, these guys are like uh, going to clash. They're like the same dude. Uh, so I thought that was well done. Right down to their facial hair. Yeah. 
Yeah, right down to the facial hair, indeed. I, I mean, again, there were a lot of moments in this film that were very, very satisfying as a fan for so many years. Like Hulk in the Hulkbuster armor. I mean, he wasn't Hulk. He was Bruce Banner, but he was wearing the Hulkbuster armor because he couldn't transform into the Hulk. So that was pretty awesome, too. Like, if they're going to dust off the Hulkbuster armor, why not put Bruce Banner in it? What What do you think? You know, as as Thanos is going through and picking up the stones, so what was what was the most satisfying set piece for you? Was it that 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 time in 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 the in nowhere uh, where the Guardians fought Thanos and, and just were decimated, and Gamora had to leave, or you know, was it you know fighting Iron Man and, and the Guardians and Doctor Strange trying to get the Time Stone after finding out that Doctor Strange uses the Time Stone and sees over 14 million scenarios uh-huh. in which they lose to Thanos but only one in which they win which I think is what informs his decision to give Thanos the Time Stone of course uh, right before uh, Doctor Strange disappears from existence essentially he tells tony look this is the only way and it almost felt like he was allowing thanos into a checkmate position in order to check him back like you said he saw 14 million plus different futures possible futures and there was only one in which they beat thanos so of course that had to inform his decision he, he knew i have to allow thanos to get this stone because it's the only way we we beat him so that was a really great scene i also in my mind, I like to plug my ears during the scene uh, when they're fighting in Wakanda and all of the, the, all the aliens are attacking. I'm thinking this is a Guardians of the Galaxy film. And right now I'm hearing Africa by Toto. And wouldn't that have been perfect? <laughs> I mean, if this is a Guardians film, I got to hear Africa by Toto while they're fighting in Wakanda. That would be excellent. And like Groot's dancing a little bit. I think it's a little too serious. For that, yeah, I know, right? But if they play Toto during that Wakanda scene, I would just shit my pants. But uh, I didn't shit my pants, so they didn't play this long. But yeah, for me, uh, I, I think the moment for me what, that really stuck out was when uh, Thanos takes Gamora to the Soul Stone planet, yeah. and we see who is guarding the Soul Stone, and it is that was awesome. Holy shit! That it's red. It's Red Skull. It's, yeah. it's Red Skull who it shocked the shit out of me. And yeah. Even though I know it wasn't Hugo Weaving, it was somebody who did a fantastic impression of Hugo Weaving. You know, even big franchises sometimes they just leave th- you know threads that are that are never that are, you, we never find out. Right. Yeah. They just they just kind of leave those threads and they never tie yeah. them off and. That finding out that the Tesseract specifically, the Space Stone specifically sent him to this planet to be the guardian of the Soul Stone almost as like a, punish, as a punishment, Yeah, I thought was, you know, a nice touch and a nice way because it could have been anything, right? It could have been any old alien could yeah. have been guarding yep. the Soul Stone, but to have it be Red Skull as his punishment, I thought was amazing. And I thought just a nice surprise, just a great moment. It's pop culture mass, so maybe we should say penance instead of punishment. Right. It's his penance. Personally, I love that scene. I was like elbowing my wife. I was like, oh my God, look, it's Red Skull. He's back. He's back. You know, he disappears at the end of Captain America and he's never mentioned again, but I'm thinking, you know what? He he wasn't blown into a, a smithereens. He was kind of sucked into some other dimension. And so I'm like waiting. When are we going to see him again? When are we going to see him again? And um, when... 
Thanos and Gamora come upon this shrouded figure, I think death, because I think that's the comic book, right? I mean, the comic book Thanos kind of had a thing for death. And I thought, oh my God, we're seeing the personification of death here. They're going to at least weave that in a little bit. But I thought when it's the Red Skull and that's part of his penance is that he has to guard the stone. It really was so fitting and really so incredible. Um, I did very much like that part. Yeah. And you know, that kind of gets me into, you know, talking about some other great things about the film, uh, you know, maybe or, or not so great. Talking about the character beats and yeah. what did you see of the performances that you liked? Were there anything that really stand it, stood out to you or do you think it was more characters in service of plot as opposed to plot in service of characters? Well, I think the first thing I need to say is that Vin Diesel as Groot, masterful. It's sublime. <laughs> I mean, let's be real here. I, they, he had to make that high pitched voice. It didn't even sound like him that, Oh, he didn't make it. You know, you know, that's, you know, they, they, they changed that in post. Come so you, on. you think he's, they were like auto tuning it or some shit like T-Pain or something. Oh yeah. Uh, Cause yeah, they just, you know, they, they took the soundboard and they raised and they raised his octave. I was just you know, thinking the way he said, <laughs> I am Groot. I was just like, look, this is it. This is all there's, that's all there is to it. This is the performance of the film. I mean, uh, James Brolin, great work. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. As usual, fantastic. But both of you guys need to take a back seat to Mr. Diesel here with the, I am Groot. That shit is incredible. I actually thought Tom Holland was pretty good, particularly his final scene was a little bit heartbreaking. I mean, everybody else just kind of sucked it up. Uh, motherfucker and then disappeared like um, like uh, Sam Jackson but but him all like I don't want to go I don't want to go hugging Tony like just the, the desperation there I cried I had a tear I I, I actually miraculously I did not because I, I do usually tear up just like a lady in these movies but I, I thought that part was a little bit like wow and then he lays down and he like before he disappears the last thing he says to Tony is I'm sorry like I'm sorry like I know you were trying to keep my ass alive for the last three movies that I've appeared in, but, um, sorry, you didn't, you didn't, you weren't able to keep me alive and, you know, bring my dust back to aunt may or whatever, if she's still around. But, um, that actually did kind of strike me as like, wow, that's, Oh, that, I mean, this kid's like 17, he's a kid and he's, you know, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Of course you don't. You're 17. And I'm pretty sure you haven't been in Mary Jane yet. So yeah, you don't want to die. So that, that actually, that was the one performance of the film. I thought that's pretty good. It was only a brief moment, but it was pretty good. Right. I mean, for me, I mean, outside of Josh Brolin, and and I think we, we, we can't say enough. The fact that, you know, you, we've seen great, uh, character performances from CGI characters or mm-hmm. mocap, like, you know, Gollum from Gollum, the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And, and I definitely think Josh Brolin really brought it as Thanos. And, and you can tell this was him being mocap. This wasn't him adding a voice to, to another actor being mocap or adding a voice to a CGI creation. It, it was his performance. And I thought he was great. Yeah. Especially on the scene where he kills, where he has to kill Gamora to get the soul stone. But for me, the standout performance of the film and the guy who really owns this movie, but it's Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Chris Hemsworth brought it in a way in which kind of really, if you, if you think about it, I almost wonder if they changed the movie a little bit to reflect how good Thor Ragnarok was and how, and how great he was in it because he's, he's always been good for, 
you know, understated comedy. And I always thought he played Thor's fish out of water. I loved it. Uh, shtick, you know, pretty well. But yeah. in, in Thor, in Thor Ragnarok, he really found another level. And I think he just killed it in this film. He, he continued, he continued what he did in that movie and the pain in his voice when he's talking to the guardians. And when he talks to rocket, when they're yeah. on their own little mission, which we haven't even talked about Thor's crazy ass mission to the dwarf planet yeah. to find, you know, Tyrion Lannister to help make his new, his new, uh, axe. Yep. And it's amazing. I think they dropped the ball on an aloe vera joke after Thor gets the, um, the, the, the sun working again. Um, because he's definitely burned to a crisp. I think this film did a good job of <laughs> right. building off his arc. I mean, I think his arc has been pretty great. And in, in Ragnarok at the end, when he kind of whips Hela's ass or Hela's ass, um, there is that arc where it's like, you're not the God of hammers, you're the God of thunder. And he, he kind of like, Oh, um, it's like Dumbo's feather. It's like, well, maybe I don't really need the hammer and I can just push lightning up your asshole without any, um, without any instrument. And, um, I, I think he continued that very well. I think he took that into this film. It's like, look, I'm the fucking God of thunder. I'm pretty big badass, And that son over there is going to shoot some light up my ass while I'm, while I'm holding this thing open. And I don't really care. It'll, it'll hurt, but I, I can handle it. And then I'm going to go back to earth. And I mean, when he got back to earth and started, I, look, look, he started laying waste to these dudes in Wakanda. And, um, you know, he did. Oh yeah. When, when he, when he appeared, I mean, that got a huge, that actually got yeah. an audible cheer yeah. in the theater of where I was sitting when, when his, uh, cause just, you know, his, his new, his new axe, the Stormbreaker, actually has the, bi- he can channel the Bifrost through yep. it. So he yep. basically can go anywhere in the universe he wants to go yep. just by thinking. And when he appears in the battle, yeah, man, he just starts laying waste to motherfuckers. Yeah, when Dinklage said, oh, in theory, he could even channel the Bifrost with it, I thought, oh, okay, well, that's how he's getting to Earth. Um, I knew immediately as soon as he mentioned that, kind of off the cuff, like, oh, this weapon will even allow him to channel the Bifrost. Oh, that's exactly how he's going to meet up with the rest of the crew. And, um, I mean, he did. I, I, I was a little bit disappointed that um, the other Avengers, I mean, they really... Thanos was just kind of batting them away like they were just children. But uh, Thor really did almost have them. Like he said, you should have gone for the head. You know, I've, I've lived just long enough to snap my finger and, and, you know, I can complete my mission regardless of this giant ax inside my chest. And then, you know, I'm going to get out of here and reverse time or whatever and survive this terrible ax wound. But um, it really, well, I mean, once he had the hammer back or the, the, the ax back, it was like, holy shit, like this guy's unstoppable. He's easily the most powerful of all these people underneath Thanos, maybe. Right. And so, you know, after talking about, you know, some of the performances that stood out to you, was there any performance that really didn't stand out that maybe didn't hit the right notes that you were expecting? Yeah, character-wise, I mean, I think the actors are fine. This was a film where there were just so many people that it's really hard to go one way or the other. It's it's hard to suck really bad because you're not having to carry large parts of the film yourself because there's like 17 other superheroes. But then it's also kind of hard to shine as well for that same reason. Captain America was largely silent. His arc is still a little bit of a mystery to me. Like, where's he been since Civil War? Where's he going? Kind of what's... What's driving him? I mean, I know he's 
he's the do-gooder. He's the boy scout who wants to kind of help save the planet, which is understandable. But I, I kind of thought maybe cap was a little underutilized, particularly being that he's maybe part of the, the soul of the Avengers. He may not be the most powerful one. I think that's Thor right now, but um, you know, he's at least the guy that he's like an, an ideal personified, you know what I mean? I think that's really what I love so much about captain America. I think, I think, I think, the performance, I think it's both performance and how the character was written. And it was, and I think it's because it wasn't written by the person who usually writes this character. It was, uh, Chris Pratt and star Lord. I think Uh. number one, he's way more childish than he usually is. Usually (laughs) he's, you know, I mean, I think, you know, his, his, his competition. So, you know, quote unquote competition with Thor was, it just seemed like kind of petty. Like he seemed oh, to be much more petty when he's not really, that's not really who he is. He's not really petty. He's just, he's just a guy who never really had development after about the age of nine. Yeah. So, you know, he's in some ways he's still very childlike, but he's also still a man and that's kind of his shtick. And I think, I think he's more childish and petty in this film than he was in the first two guardians films. I didn't think it was, I don't think the script really did Chris Pratt any favors. Um, I did think it was funny that they, that they kind of called out to the fact that, uh, you know, Chris Pratt really didn't get into Marvel shape for this movie. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> and it's not saying that he's, and, that's, and it's not saying he was like, you know, he's not like, you know, you know, Andy from parks and rec. Like he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't kind of doughy, but when Drax says you're one, you're, you're one sandwich away from being fat. I like, I lost my shit. I laughed so hard. I thought Gamora said that, which made it even more emasculating. It's like his romantic interest is like, dude, you're one sandwich away from being chubby. And then Drax does the thing with the neck. He like kind of indicates that he's growing a second chin, but he, it's it's completely nonverbal. He just does it with his hand. He's like, yeah, you know, you're. And then he does around his waist, like you're you're getting fucking fat, dude. I love that scene. I thought that was hilarious, yeah. actually. I thought that was funny. They basically have Thanos beaten, and they're taking the gauntlet off his hands and. He, he goes batshit, uh, Star-Lord does, once he finds out that Thanos killed Gamora. Yeah. So I think, I mean, it, like, like you had to have the scene in there because, uh, number one, you had to get to the end of the film where Thanos wins. But it's just making him the guy who's, who basically, who's, it's, like, if you think about it, it's, it's Peter Quill's fault that half the universe is dead. They had him beat. The, the gauntlet was coming off his hand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They did. Before this film, Guardians was my second favorite Marvel movie ever. Uh, and I just, I was just really disappointed with, um, with what they had in store for, for Chris Pratt and Star-Lord. And the fact that, you know, he's dead, <laughs> quote-unquote yeah. dead. We'll, we'll see what happens in the subsequent film. And um, maybe, maybe they can find a way to, to bring him back and, and maybe... I, I heard that James Gunn actually wrote a lot of, of, of the dialogue and, and wrote a lot of the character, but I really didn't see it in the film. So yeah. I'm, I'm kind of hoping maybe they bring him back to do a little bit more of that kind of script doctoring because I really want to get I really want to get the Star Lord that I know and remember. Or maybe I just have to wait for Guardians Three. I think maybe yeah. you'll have to wait for that. But so you know we know what happens in the film. We've talked a little bit about the themes of the film. We talked about some of the standout performances. Where where does this film leave the Marvel universe to you? Where where the hell are they going to go? Honestly, 
I, I love this ending so much more than Civil War. I, I think you have the same thing at the end of Civil War. You're wondering, okay, well, what's going to happen? The Avengers have been uh, basically chopped in two, and where does everybody go? Uh, in this film, it's like, wow, where do really where do we go from here? Because like you said, at least 50% of the superheroes are now snuffed. But look, we all know there's going to be a Black Panther sequel. So, you know, you got to bring back T'Challa. He disappears at the end of the film and we get, we got to bring him back. So, um, I'm, I'm really, I'm curious to see this next film. Obviously Captain Marvel is going to figure in really big because a, that's who, uh, Fury pages at the end of the film. And then B two months before the release of Avengers four will be the release of the Captain Marvel film set in the nineties. So, but where they go from here, I don't know how they're going to resurrect characters without it feeling cheapened. So how do they bring back Gamora? How do they bring back star Lord? How do they bring back, bring back, um, T'Challa for these future films without kind of cheapening the, the, um, kind of the serious gravity of these characters essentially dying. Right. And, you know, I think that kind of gets to a point I wanted to talk about, which is, you know, who, who is really dead and who's coming back because the, in in the comic books, and I think this is one, this is one explanation that's going to carry over. The soul stone isn't simply a stone. It actually houses a pocket universe. Mm -hmm. So for every soul that Thanos takes, it's actually stored inside the soul stone in a pocket universe, whether the souls are alive or they realize that they're there, who knows? you know, that's, that's, that's what's going to happen there. So that kind of gets me to the point that there are going to be some stakes. Um, there are going to be some people who died because remember there were, there were plenty of characters who died before the snap, right? So we had Loki, Loki, I think is dead. I think, I think Loki's dead for sure. I don't think he's coming back. Unfortunately, I think so too. And I think that's probably as much a logistical thing with Tom Hiddleston being very popular. I mean, undoubtedly he has other films to go make that are outside of the the Marvel universe. I think you're right. I think some of the characters who died before the snap are going to stay dead, but then characters like Gamora, she died before the snap. And I do think Gamora's no, I think she's dead. I mean, cause if you think about it, what's the internal logic, everybody who died at the, you know, because of the snap can come back. What's the logic for bringing Gamora back? I actually think she's dead. I actually think uh-huh. she's one. And I, th- and I think you have to do that. I think there has to be real stakes. Loki isn't an Avenger. He isn't a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy, the two big franchises. Yeah. I think Gamora I think Gamora is dead. I think the Collector is dead. I think there are there are definite characters who are who will and, and are remain dead. Uh, yeah. it'd be interesting yeah. to see, you know, how everything kind of comes back together. In the fourth, in the fourth movie, I mean, definitely uh, there's Nebula and Tony Stark uh, on Titan all alone, but they have the ability to get off the planet because the Guardians, Milano, their spaceship is there. So there's a way in which Tony can return back to Earth yeah. and meet back up with um, what's left of the Avengers and what's left of humanity uh, to try to figure out what to do from that point. Yeah. And then there's also you, know, you talked about Captain Marvel, and I think I think she's going to be the focal point, um, especially when it comes to fighting Thanos, because supposedly she's the most powerful being in the Marvel Universe, not for the Hulk. But there's also Ant-Man and the Wasp and Hawkeye. I miss those characters. I just want to say that. Right. I mean, definitely uh, Hawkeye's little little bit of, uh, you know, his 
his his sarcasm was missed a little bit, I think. But yeah. you know, I, I've definitely heard some theories that you know Ant Man and the Wasp are able to not be affected by the snap because maybe they were in the quantum realm during this time. I and see. we'll we'll actually find out. I think I think we'll actually find that out later this summer with their movie. Um, they'll probably have you know Scott and Hope uh, coming out of the quantum realm or something like that in one of the in one of the end uh, end scenes and and then having to deal with you know, everything that's happened since they were gone. So I think that'll probably be something. And, and that'll, that'll lead into the next film, which will be again, uh, Captain Marvel. So, you know, finding out where they were during this time is going to be interesting. Finding out where Hawkeye was is going to be interesting because, you know, when, when we get back to them in Avengers four, it's, it's, you know, they're definitely going to be part of it because there's not many heroes left. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, I am certainly worried about some of the, uh, characters who are portrayed by actors who are probably going to be moving on. Um, Captain America is one that I'm worried about. Again, I really enjoy that character because of what he sort of stands for. But then, I mean, I, I think you have a good point about Gamora that it did happen before the snap, but, uh, really, I mean, honestly, what I want to see at the event, at the end of all these Avengers films, I'd love for them to just end it with, every single one of them still alive and showing up to Tony's wedding to pepper. Like when they, they were talking about the wedding a little bit in this movie, I was like, you know what? And Tony's talking about having a kid. Wouldn't that be beautiful if they all, I mean, even, even Loki is, is invited to the damn wedding. You know what I mean? I think that would be like a wonderful kind of almost a meta moment. You could even have Stanley officiating the damn thing. Yeah. I mean, I think again, Gamora is gone and I don't think she's coming back. I, I think, and I think you're right about, uh, Chris Evans and Captain America. I think he will die in the next film. I think yeah. he is because remember all the way back to the original Avengers. He tells Tony, you're not the guy who lays down on the wire. So somebody else can crawl over your back. Right. Yeah. I think, I think he's going to, I think he makes the ultimate sacrifice and he goes out and that's, that's just what it is. Uh, next film is his, is the end of the line for his contract with Marvel. Yeah. And you're right. He wants to do other things. And Bucky is there to take on the mantle of Captain America or even Sam Wilson as the Falcon takes on the mantle of Captain America. But I think it'll be Bucky because uh, Sam Wilson is already Falcon in, in, in the movies. And, you know, he doesn't really have the, the physique to really pull yeah. off, you know, it's like, I love, I, I love him, but he doesn't really look like a captain America to me. Whereas like, you know, uh, Sebastian Stan's gotten kind of swole, so he could definitely pull it off. I think the Avengers will end on a, on a, on a happy, bittersweet kind of a happy note. Right. I think it's, you know, I think Cap will be dead. I think Gamora will be dead. I think Loki stays dead and Thor, he, if he's not all alone, he's, he's mostly alone. And, you know, but they have each other and, and, you know, just once I'd like to hear somebody say Avengers assemble no shit. in one of these movies, maybe it'll happen in the next one. Who knows? As they go into the, you know, the next phase of Marvel, I'm sure they'll have all brand new types of, you know, Avengers movies for us to see. But I just, unfortunately don't see Captain America being part of that. So unfortunately I don't either. I, I think Robert Downey Jr. is in, but I don't think Chris Evan is. Uh, so, you know, I think we're gonna have to kiss Captain America goodbye. Is there a need for Bucky to take over? I mean, do you need to refill that 
that character's shoes and have a Captain America if Steve Rogers is dead. I don't. I'm, I'm not sure if that's a necessity for for me. But um, again, I, I want to see like all of them like bouncing Tony's baby on their knee. You know what I mean? I want to see like I want to see the Hulk like being super gentle with his like tiny little human baby that that uh, that Tony and Pepper have or whatever. Like <laughs> that, that's that's lame. You know, there has to be stakes when there's no stakes, you know, you don't, you know, you know, you never really buy into the danger that these characters are in. So yeah. that's, that's what they did with the original Avengers movie where, where Coulson died. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they brought him back for that shitty TV show, but in the movie we thought he was dead yep. and it, and it brought some real stakes to the action. What was your, you know, where, what, what would you rate this film as a through F? This is an a, no doubt. I mean, I mean, easily easily in a film. Um, this is one that I could see in the theaters more than once. I mean, this is a really, really good film. Right. And I agree with you. Um, definitely an a, uh, for me, you know, when I, when I look over my top five, top 10 Marvel movies, you know, before, before this movie, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, I think I had, I think I had uh, winter soldiers at the top and it's still at the top for me. This, this movie did not dislodge winter soldier, but it settles in right at number three, number mm. two being guardians. The first guardians I've been thinking about it going back and forth, but to me that first guardians of the galaxy, you know, was like a shot in the arm to this whole MCU franchise. For and sure. it's still such a movie that I can go back to, but you know, I had the original Avengers at number three, uh, followed by the first captain America. And then, uh, Thor Ragnarok at five. And I think this pushes Avengers down a slot and, Avengers Affinity War is now my third favorite Marvel film for sure. Do you have any particular ranking or have you not had a chance to think about it at that kind of level yet? Or like, where would you put it? I probably can't rank rank them like that. Yeah. This is easily in my top three. You know, I'm a pretty big fan of the original films, you know, the first Iron Man, the first Avengers, because I think that kind of catches them when they're still very fresh and the, the ideas and concepts are very new. And, um, so, so I, I do think this one, uh, is, is certainly in the top three, just like with you, this was a really great additional piece. Like if you're a fan of the first films, like the, 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 the first phase and the first Avengers that this film is the next, it's the most logical next step. It's the best way to build upon those films. So I think it capitalizes on what they've set up very, very well. It's very hard not to recognize that as being a really excellent culmination of where they've been going with the MCU. Uh, it makes me a little worried about where they're going to go once Thanos is removed. Once he's off the table, it's like, wow, how are you going to top are you going to do another 10 year cycle? How are you ever going to top infinity war? I can't wait to see how they, they decide they're going to, they're going to top this one. But, um, uh, it's hard for me to say, I, I definitely do think this one is, is in my top three though, easily. Right. And it's like, and I think the Russos did a fantastic job, uh, especially since I didn't really care for civil war. Um, I love, like I said, winter soldier is my first number one, best Marvel movie I've ever seen. And I think they really redeemed themselves because civil war was kind of a mishmash for me. It wasn't, it was okay. Um, wasn't mm-hmm. really the, you know, the be all end all that I was expecting, but this is so good luck. Cause they're, they're, I think they're going to need some good luck because how do you top this movie? How do you make it better? And, you know, we saw with, uh, with star Wars, with empire strikes back, which is, this is very tonally similar to return of the Jedi. Didn't really stick the landing. So I really hope 
that with Avengers four, which it'll be interesting to see what they do in the next film. Again, like I said, I hope they stick the landing. I hope they, they, they improve upon what they've done here and really give us an, a satisfying ending uh, to this phase of, of the Marvel universe, because it really deserves it. I think it's a great franchise and, For sure. and I'd really like to see, like you said, I, I want to see what's coming next. Cause part of me kind of hopes that they, they move to maybe smaller types of films, like more introspective, you know, maybe not quite so bombastic. It's like, where do you go after infinity war and the, the sequel to infinity war? Well, maybe you make, you know, smaller films, more yeah. self-contained, maybe more self-contained films. So, Let's see. Let's see what happens. Let's see where they go. Again, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, no matter what happens, that's it for our review of Infinity War. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you guys for listening very much. I uh, really appreciate it. If you guys want to tweet us, I'm at Jason Almy. That's J A S O N A L M E. You're at History of Matt, and spelled exactly like it says. Okay. So um, in our next episode, we are going to chat a little bit of Big Trouble in Little China. So I hope you guys are Big Trouble in Little China fans, because we certainly are. Yeah, and if you're not, listen to the podcast, and you might actually become one. You might. We'll talk (laughs) you into it. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you very much, and enjoy the Bach.